Amen. Everybody doing good this morning? That's horrible. Everybody doing good this morning? Amen. It's good to be here and good to be back. It's been a joy to be with y'all this weekend. Let's go ahead and turn our Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1. All right? Uh, Just some biblical principle. I'm going to talk about, uh, of course, the sanctity of life today. I'm going to give you a little bit of my personal life testimony and then also want to give you some just uh, historical things, uh, biblical things, just kind of run the gambit. Uh, I believe this, that uh, it is very obvious that abortion's wrong. But sure. we have been, uh, th- there's nothing, you know, the old timers called it common sense. And common sense isn't very common anymore, is it? And uh, it is not natural. It is not a natural thing for a woman to conceive a child and want to kill that child. That is not natural. And uh, Romans 1 talks all about uh, not having natural affection and things like the way our, our minds being seared and our conscience being just gone away with. And uh, I'm not going to dig into all that today, but I, I just want to pull two truths out of these two texts that we mentioned and then say some things about it. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse number 5, Before I formed thee in the belly... I knew thee. How about that? And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. So everybody wants to say, well, Brother Hewitt, explain all of that about how he was called before he was ever even born. That's not my job. I I believe it. Uh, That's not my job. But what we are seeing here is it's obvious that this young man, God knew exactly who what he and what he was before he ever came out of his mother's womb. Can we agree with that? Sure. And then Luke chapter number 1. Luke chapter number 1. Mary has uh, conceived of the Holy Ghost. She has gone to see her, um, her cousin Elizabeth. Uh, verse 39. Luke 1, 39. Mary rose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into the city of Judea or Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe, not the fetus, not the clump of cells, not the, uh, what do they call it, um, the leech. That's sometimes what they call a child. The babe. Do y'all see that? Yes, sir. Leaped in her womb. Why? Was, was it because she ate some jalapenos for lunch? No. The babe leapt in her womb in direct context to what Mary, what Mary had just told Elizabeth. The babe, I, you said, explain all that. I can't explain all that. I, I, I don't understand all of these things. God can do what God wants to do. But God is proving to us that there's more to the life that is growing within a woman's womb than just a clump of cells. Amen? Uh, the babe wept in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. So the attack on life, and that's really, so the sanctity of life, we defend the sanctity of life, that it's important, that it's, 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 it's necessary. We need to uphold that. So the opposite of that would be the attack of life. Is that right? Uh, if you study some history, uh, Adolf Hitler, how many of y'all know the name Adolf Hitler? 
Okay, we are all very familiar, even though they're trying to erase the history that they don't want us to know. But Adolf Hitler it was a very, very wicked man. He served in World War I. He was ar- arrested uh, because of uh, p- political dissension. He was actually Jewish in his background. Uh, all kinds of just contradictions in his life. But he, he wrote Mein Kampf. Uh, I'm, I think I'm saying that right. Isn't that amazing? I can say a German word better than an English word. But anyways, um, he wrote that when he was in, in prison. And, and man, anyways, he, it was a book of basically his manifesto. After he come out, he began to rise in the political scene. Almost a decade before the Holocaust. Everybody know about the Holocaust? All right. It really did happen. It really did happen. And uh, before, about a decade before the Holocaust took place, Adolf Hitler wanted to attack. And I don't know if this was his long game plan, but it really did work. He wanted to attack the sanctity of life. And how did he do that? He made these, and he was doing experiments. He was, he was I think he, he had the extermination of the Jews in mind the whole time. But what you have to do in order to get your populace or your culture to demonize and destroy a whole group of people, a whole race, you first have to break down the very uh, value of life altogether. So once you break down the value of life, you can then turn that, that machine against whoever you paint to be your, men, your, your enemy. So that's why the propaganda machine in, in Nazi Germany was so effective. They are, most of their work had already been done, not in the hating of the Jews. Hitler didn't just turn that on Jews. He turned it on Christians. He turned it on Jehovah's Witnesses. He turned it on Sodomites. He, he turned that machine against the Bolsheviks, anybody that he deemed his enemy, anybody that would stand in his way. But in order to be able to do that, these dictators, these tyrants, they have to first tear down the sanctity of life. How did Hitler do that? So he began a program, and I'm going to call them killing vans because I cannot pronounce the German word that's that long. Okay? Is everybody all right with that? They're killing vans. And what these were is they were sealed off vans that would have drivers. And if you had a special needs child that you did not feel like deserved to live or you did not feel like would have a good quality of life or if you had an elder uh, loved one that was declining in health, you could call Hitler's uh, department for this and they would come to your house, roll your family member out of your house in a wheelchair, making them think that they're going to get help. They would put those family members in this van, the driver would drive outside of, van, uh, of town, and they would drop Zyklon B or other types of gases into the van, and it would euthanize that person in that van without their knowledge. And thousands of sick babies and thousands of disabled children, no doubt autistic children, mental retardation, children with mental retardation, children with Down syndrome, children that they did not deem fit to uh, build up their eugenics empire, which also if you study Margaret Stringer, who is the founder of Planned Parenthood, she was a eugenist, Uh, she was a racist, Darwin, the theory of Darwin's theory of, uh, of, 
evolution. My mind. I'm tired. Thank you. Maybe you can edit that later. Uh, Darwin's theory of evolution. In his introduction, he actually reveals his 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 plan of the whole idea is a pure race. So racism's very deep into these things. Go look up where most of the Planned Parenthoods are. They're in black neighborhoods. I think the last numbers I saw, and this was years ago, something like 80% of all children that are killed at Planned Parenthoods are black children. All right? Do y'all think that's on purpose? Absolutely. And so Hitler began, and you said, why are you telling us this? Because Hitler did not attack the Jews first. He attacked life first. And over the last 40 plus years in our country, life has been attacked. Life no longer means anything in our country. Is that right? The only life that matters to people is is their life. The word, I want to I throw this out. We were talking about Bible words. I mean, literally, a babe in the mother's womb in our two texts this morning. The Bible never uses the word pregnant, okay? And I don't even like that word, and y'all pray for me. I am old-timey. I grew up under a pastor in, in my childhood, and there was something he taught me. That, that old generation, you know, like the World War II and older generation, they didn't use that word. It was a vulgar word to them. And uh, so I always say stuff with like with child or expecting. So I'm not expecting y'all to do that. I'm just saying me. But it's like cringes me to say that, even though I don't think it's a bad word, okay? But the word pregnant is not in our Bible. But you know what is? The word with child. That's a life. Yeah. That, the, the, over and over, she was with child. She was with child. She was with child. The babe leaped in her womb. You need to remember these things. That is not a, the world wants to desensitize us to what is even growing in that mother's womb. It is not a clump of cells. It is not a fetus. It is not some blob. It is not a leech. It is a child. It is a baby. Not after it's born. Not when it takes its first breath. The only thing different between nine months in the womb and the first day of birth is the location of that baby. Y'all with me? And so Hitler began to desensitize. Y'all understand the word desensitize? How many of y'all have ever had a, a dental work done? You know, I hate that. Ugh, gives me the heat of Jesus. All right? I, I, I just can't stand it. Uh, the, the, what they do is they give you shots of Novocaine. And they very rarely just give you one shot of Novocaine, Brother Blake. They give you multiple shots. So if I'm having work on this, the, my uh, uh, I can't even remember the, what it's called. Uh, I did learn that in Christian school, carnivore teeth, your, your pointy tooth right here. That, that's the scientific name of it, pointy tooth. Um, anyways, if you're getting work done on that, they're, they're going to put a shot in the front. They're going to put a shot in the back. They're going to put shots on the side. And little by little, those shots are numbing not just the part that has the issue, but it's numbing everything around it. Is that right? I mean, I remember when I was little, my grandmother would take me to a lot of my doctor's appointments, and I was getting some dental work done back here one day. And um, I loved Taco Bell. Does anybody else like Taco Bell? 
I don't like it anymore. I, matter of fact, my wife and I have been married 11 years in June, and we have not ate Taco Bell one single time since we got married. Can I get an amen right there? Amen. Now, I love Mexican, but that is not Mexican food. Amen. amen. Right? Gloria a Dios. Amen, amen, amen. Um, but I, my grandmother would take me, and she would get me these soft tacos and roll them up nice for me. Isn't that sweet? Amen. Put the salsa in there and roll them up real tight like a burrito for me. Such a sweet grandmother. And we went by Taco Bell after after the dentist that day, and I chew into it. And I'm, I'm 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 eating my soft tacos. They always eat three. And Brother Blake, all of a sudden, my grandmother looks back there, and I've got blood running down the side of my face. She said, "Chris, what's wrong?" And I, my mouth was so numb that I was not chewing taco anymore. I was chewing the inside of my cheek. It took me over a month, and I actually had to go on antibiotics because it was so bad on the inside of my mouth. Now, y'all with me? I got your attention now. Why did I do that? Why did I literally almost eat my mouth? I chewed chewed myself to death, all right? You have blood all over your mouth. Why did I do that? Because I was desensitized to it. And culture in our day is little by little, and words do matter, by the way. Little by little, word change by word change, not saying this word, but saying that word. Uh, Newsreel by newsreel, Facebook post by Facebook post. Culture is trying to change and desensitize your value of life. And that's why... It is a sanctity of life issue. Um, tell you some a story. My wife and I got married in June of 2012. We uh, were expecting in that fall. And my wife in December was about 10 weeks along. And she miscarried twins. She miscarried a set of twins. My wife is a twin. Uh, both of us have twins that run on, on both sides of our family. And uh, we, she was, um, it, it, we, it was sad and, and we, it, it was tough. But I'll be honest, you know, the, a lot of, uh, they say, I think something like 50% of uh, uh, first-time pregnancies end in uh, a, a miscarriage. And so she miscarried, and we didn't think much about it because it was a twin situation, and this was our first time, and so we, did, we didn't think much about it. Uh, very, just it was sad, but we we moved on, and we thought, oh, next time we'll be fine. And um, we got into 2013. Found out in 20 uh, March 2013 that she was expecting again, and baby was growing. Everything was great. Man, we were so excited. Um, the um, this is the year that we, we met the Browns. We um, went into the summer and. I was running a gospel tent meeting in a homeless encampment in Athens, Georgia. It was fun, all right? Uh, if you want to have some fun, go do a meeting in a homeless community. It is great. There was the woman, her name was Faye. She was in her 50s. She was the queen. That's what they called her, the queen of the homeless community. It really aspired to some stuff in life. And uh, she she was always drunk, and I begged her to come sober. I, would, I prayed all that week that, that she wouldn't be able to panhandle any money. So she couldn't buy alcohol, but she she came every night drunk. Matter of fact, one night I was y'all know how I get down front and preach when we're in the in the service. 
I was up front preaching. I was preaching the gospel. And Faye come up and put her arms around my shoulders and said, Let's dance, preacher. And I said, Faye, go sit down. We'll dance after church. So, um, But during that meeting, we were having our door knocking week. And um, it, was, it was July 21st. And my wife was going for her mid-pregnancy ultrasound. Uh, just, you know, I think they call it anatomy scan. Is that right? And we went in, and by this time, we had seen enough ultrasound techs because of issues she had had in the past. And now we were going into this one, and I could tell that she was not happy with what she was seeing. She kept going back to the heart and going back to the heart and going back to the heart, go back to the kidneys, then go back to the heart. Finally, the doctor came in, and they uh, said, you need to go to the specialist today. We found out that our little girl, she had what is called hypoplastic left heart syndrome. That means the right two uh, uh, chambers of her heart did not form. She did not have it. And in the womb, she was perfect. My wife's body was keeping her body alive. She was perfect. There was nothing as long as she was in the womb. But outside of the womb, we started finding out it went from 20% chance of living with surgery. And I'm talking about eight surgeries before she was like three years old. Um, And then it went to 15%. And the more we found out, it went to 10%. And eventually, like a 5% chance. And there were several other things wrong with her. And the first first day, we went into the the specialist, okay, Regional Obstetric Center of Chattanooga. We went in there, and we sat across from these doctors that didn't know us, that we didn't know them. And the first thing they do is they go over the chart with no emotion, with no care, and they say, "We recommend that you terminate your child, or your your uh, terminate this pregnancy." You did you hear my the language? Not kill this child, terminate this pregnancy. Words matter, young people. You know why they do that? They do that to take the edge off of it for you, and they take the edge off of it for them because we were not the only couple or the only mother in that, that building that day that they offered that to, I promise. And, of course, we said absolutely not. We are believers, we are Christians, and we believe this baby's life matters. The, 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 the aggravating thing about the rock that was the what it was called the regional obstetrics that the reason the aggravating thing is it was a group of doctors sister warren so every time we went in there's a chance that we're not going to see the same doctor so up until 24 weeks because at that time abortion was legal up until 24 weeks in in tennessee that's we we don't live in tennessee but we get our health care there in tennessee um up until 24 weeks every single time we would go in it would almost every time be a different doctor, and that doctor would say, we recommend you terminate this pregnancy. We recommend over and over again. Um, our daughter was born November 7th, uh, 2012, or excuse me, 2013, and um, it, I actually delivered her at home. It was an accident, but aren't you glad I knew how to do those things? Amen. Um, I delivered her at home. My wife delivered her. I caught the baby at home. Uh, she gets the credit. But we ended up going to the hospital. We did not mean to have a home birth at that time. We, we would have liked a home birth, but with all her situation, we were going to have the baby at the hospital. 
And we get to the hospital that day, and every single thing that they said was wrong with her was wrong, uh, and more. There was She had so many compounding things. And uh, we chose for no intervention because she could not have any kind of, I mean, they were, as soon as she was born, the only reason she was living was because of the, care, the, the machines they hooked up to her. And uh, by the end of the day, her, everything that with the heart, so with the right side of the heart not working, it was not putting blood into the lungs. Therefore, she was not get, eventually not getting oxygen. She lived eight hours, and that's all the life she had. And uh, we always tell people we got to spend every single moment of her life with her. And it was, it was a sad day. It was an exciting day. It was, it was a hard day. I'm not gonna lie to you. You say, preacher, why did you tell us all that? Well, there's a lot of reasons God lets things happen, and we won't know everything until we get to heaven. Is that right? Sure. But that day we had a nurse that was assigned to us. Once we got to the NICU, we had to go to the NICU because they have. Uh, not just air supply for children, but babies in that situation need heated air supply. And so we had to go to the NICU. And our nurse, Kelly, she was with us all day, and they put us in a back room eventually um, as she got closer to the time she was going to pass. And I asked Kelly to stay with us. I didn't know the procedure. I'd never been through anything like this. I didn't know she wasn't supposed to stay with us. But she went out and actually found another nurse to take the rest of her children over in the NICU, and she stayed with us the rest of the day. And throughout the, the day, we were, we were singing songs, and, you know, in haste that morning, I didn't have a Bible with me, but I'm glad I had some Bible in me. Did you get that? You might not always have your Bible with you, but you ought to have the Bible in you. Yeah. And we... Went in, um, in that back room it, with the air supply, little bed and all that. And as our baby was getting worse and worse, and I was quoting scripture and singing. And God dealt with my heart that Kelly might not know the God I was singing about. And so that day, I, I, sitting there on our child's deathbed, we, I looked at Kelly and I said, Miss Kelly, i got to ask you a question. She said, what is it? I said, I don't believe in, in accidents. I don't, mean in, I don't believe in coincidences. I said... I believe, I said, I don't know why God's allowing all this to happen. I said, but I believe that God let me meet you today. And I said, I would be a horrible father and a horrible Christian if I didn't ask you if you knew you were saved and on your way to heaven. And there on our baby's deathbed, Miss Kelly said, no, I'm not. And uh, Brother David, we were able to give the gospel to that lady that day on our child's deathbed. I followed Kelly a little bit through social media, and uh, she actually left the NICU a few few months later. I didn't know it, but she was going through some horrible things in her life at that time, and uh, God has done a work, and I, I'm still praying for Kelly. Would you help me pray for Kelly? Uh, that God would save Kelly. But uh, our baby passed away that day, and it was amazing, and, and the Browns may remember some of this 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 part. But the Right to Life, how many of y'all are familiar with the, the Right to Life program? Uh, they are state programs, state-ran programs. That There's Georgia Right to Life. There's National Right to Life. There's Florida Right to Life. And they are, it's an abor- uh, anti-abortion, pro-life uh, advocacy group, a lobbyist group. They're, they're the ones at our state capitals and our national capital lobbying against uh, abortion rights and lobbying against 
the uh, the anti-life movement. Y'all, okay, y'all. And they uh, every January they have a march, for, a march for life in Atlanta, and they contacted us and said we followed your child's story. Would y'all, would you and your wife come and speak at the state capitol? And closer to time, I keep getting more info. Uh, we, the, y'all got to imagine that we're at the state capitol. There's the capitol steps. There's a big road out in front of our state capitol. They got both ends blocked off. The governor speaks, and then we get up and speak. And there's all kind of state legislators, FM radios there. The news channels were there. They they said at least four thousand people there in the street that day, and we got to get up and give our child's story. And they told me a Baptist preacher, I could say whatever I wanted to. Isn't that a blessing? And, y'all, I preached the gospel right there to those people. The governor's standing beside me. There's there's legislators. There's legislators on both sides of the the aisle. I mean, there's Jews there. There's Muslims. I mean, there's everybody. A a hodgepodge of people there all going off on FM. And you say, why are you telling us that? You never know what a life is going to garner. Would I have ever stood in front of those 4,000 people on the state capitol steps and got to preach the gospel? Not if that wouldn't have went through that with our child. So eight hours of life. So it doesn't matter if it's eight, life is eight hours, eight minutes, eight seconds long, or if it's 80 years long. Every life matters. That's why we should never take it away from anyone. Um... Abortion in the Bible. Did y'all know that it was in the Bible? Um, I got to start in the Kings. Okay, and we're not going to turn there. I'm going to tell you the stories. Um, or in the Kings, there would be phrases like this: uh, "Because oh, oh wait, they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire." Y'all ever read that? You ever wondered about that? So the the. The practice there is pagan religion. So Molech worship, Baal worship, Ishtar worship. And so Balaam, you ever seen the word Balaam? That is a multiplicity of gods under Baal worship. And they would have temples of Baal. They would have temples to Molech. They would have uh, temples to Ishtar, all these things. Um, Moab worshiped this way. Ammonites worshiped this way. And then eventually it bled into the Israelites. That's why God was so zealous about telling them to wipe out all the inhabitants of the land because He did not want them to worship their gods. The worship of their gods was child sacrifice. Okay? Um, When Baal was worshipped, Molech was worshipped, uh, in the valley of Hinnom, below Jerusalem, even up until the days of Josiah, which Josiah did a really good job of wiping all this out. Uh, Hezekiah's father and grandfather offered up children to Molech. Y'all put that in perspective. That's the seed. That's the line of Christ getting put through the fire. And every time before God sent either the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom into uh, captivity, the final straw was that it got all the way up to the point where the king was leading the nation in child sacrifice. Okay, they would Molech that Molech statue would be like a bull, and Baal looked a lot of the same. Uh, you know, they're man, they're, that Eastern those pagan religions are all one and the same. Okay, 
uh, Tammuz, and I don't have time to get into all that, but it all goes back really to the Tower of Babel. But we don't have time to go there today. But this Baal worship, Molech worship, they, the statue would be a big bull with a human body, and it would have its arms out. And in the bottom of that, down in the Valley of Hinnom below Jerusalem, they would build fires up into this statue of Molech. And to, it would make the statue white hot with heat. That heat would di- di- distribute through that statue. It would make it white hot. And they would go down into the Valley of Hinnom. And this is, not, this is by the time it got to Judah. Y'all understand that? It was going on in the northern kingdom long before this. It was going on all over Israel. That's why the northern kingdom went into captivity long before the southern kingdom. And it was the final straw with God. When the, when the Baal worship, the Molech worship reached the top of the, the food chain. What I mean that by that is the, the leaders... God said, that's, that's enough. We're done with this. And what they would do is they would take, these women would take their children and they would throw them up into the arms of this hot, white hot statue and those babies would be caught in the arms of that statue and they would uh, burn to death. They would beat drums in that valley to try to drown out the sounds of the mother's screams. Matter of fact, in Baal worship, in order to be initiated into the worship, you had to sacrifice a child. In order to build a, a new house, and in, in, in this amazing, Ishtar is supposed to be the goddess of fertility. She's all a part of this. In order to worship her, you had to sacrifice a child. So in order to be more fertile, to have more children, you had to sacrifice children. It's not natural, is it? And by the way, Baal and Molech and Ishtar worship still alive today they would take and in order to build a house they would have to kill a child and they would plaster that child into the walls of the house matter of fact archaeologists are now finding ruins in moab area in in a northern kingdom area where they found babies' bodies built into the walls so that would let you know that there was uh, molech or baal worship in that area Brother Blake, I literally went to Israel. I was in Israel in February, and we went to Jewish cities that underneath, way underneath the city, there would be Canaanite altars that were ancient, like 3,000 plus years old. And then the next level, after a couple thousand years, you would find where Jewish altars were built, not to God, but to Baal. God's people sacrificing their children to Baal. This is the final straw for God. By the time Amos was preaching, the old country preacher, I like Amos. Because, this is what the book of Amos says. Because they have ripped up the women with child of Gilead. He's talking about why God is sending them into captivity. He ripped up the, the women with child of Gilead. There was a point in Israel where they got so zealous for Baal worship that instead of waiting for the children to be born, they ripped them out of the mother's womb to sacrifice to their false god. Now listen here. I said it earlier. Bell worship is still alive today. We're not worshiping in America gods made by hands. We're, made, we're worshiping in America gods made, God, gods made by hearts. The reason, when I was growing up, and, and of course some of you grew up, 
in the same time period or dispensation as I did. Um, when we were growing up, the phrase was safe, rare, and legal. That's what they screamed all through the 90s. Safe, re- that was their motto for abortion. It should be safe, it should be rare, and it should be legal. A few years ago, South Carolina, I think it was in 2020, South Carolina was passing the heartbeat bill, and there was a federal lower court judge that, that held off the law from going into effect for over a month because she found out there were 75 women that were scheduled to have abortions. Out of those 75 women, only two of them were related to health issues. Does that sound safe, rare, and legal? Absolutely not. So what about rape and incest, Brother Chris? Well, I'm glad you asked. If you become a victim, is it okay to make somebody else a victim? It's not. That is not your life to take. That is someone else's life to take. I mentioned we worship the God of self today. Uh, we, and Brother David, I'm not trying to be vulgar, but this is what it's called. We live in a day of hookup culture where people literally are keeping count of how many fornicating uh, relationships. It's not even a relationship. But that's all the way I know. It's just, it's a cancer in our society. And it used to be guys just lived like that. But now there's girls living like that. And it's women so sad. It's so disrespectful to yourself and to your body and to, to your mind. And you're giving your body away. You're giving your heart away. You're giving your mind away. But abortion has enabled that society. That culture. Y'all understand that? Most women now are not having abortions because they were raped. Or Matter of fact, less than 3% of all abortions in our country every year are rape or incest related. Less than 3%. Is that safe, rare, and legal? Absolutely not. Michelle Williams, she's an actress... She was very famous uh, in like teenage dramas and stuff when I was growing up. Y'all pray for me. I didn't grow up with all the standards y'all did. And I'm thankful you get to grow up with the standards I did not have. But I grew up watching Michelle Williams, and she's still an actress. And a few years ago, I can't remember, I saw a clip where she was at the Grammys or the Oscars. can't remember which one. But either way, she's holding a little golden statue in her, her hand, and she's giving her acceptance speech. And she begins to cry. And she said, I would not be standing here with this... Uh, she didn't say idol, but this, this award, but it is an idol. She said, I would not be standing here with this award today. And she's crying like it's an emo- like she's about to thank God, right? She said, I would not be standing here with this award today if I would not have had my abortion at 15. She said, I, I had my abortion and it allowed me to continue my career. You know what abortion's enabled? It's enabled women to go have their career instead of having a ministry in their home. That's what it does. Instead of having a family, instead of sanctifying life, instead of loving life, we will go have this abortion because I don't want to lose my career. I don't want to lose my status. We'll wait till later to have children. You know what that is, friend? That's self-worship. In America, we don't throw them to Molech, we throw them to the God of prosperity and the God of self and self-preservation 
and self-need, and that is selfish. Molech worships alive and well in America today. So what do you take from this? Uh, Life is important. Every life's important. And we, long before abortion should be an issue, life should be an issue. If you start Denmark, they, I think it's Denmark, one of the Norwegian countries, the, the Scandinavian countries, uh, I think it's Denmark now that if you find out you have a Down syndrome child, they kill it in the womb. There is going to be a non-population of Down syndrome in Denmark in just a few years. Do those children not deserve to live? My little boy, when my little boy, and y'all don't know him, but the, the Browns know him, absolute joy. Most severe form of spina bifida that you can have. Hydrocephalus, he's got a VP shut. Riley fell in love with Ezra. He, he, fell, in lo- he fell in love with her. Over and over again, once we found out, you need to terminate, you need to terminate, you need... My little buddy that brings me so much joy, my little, my little knife partner, he likes knives and he, he rolls around with me and, man, he's, he likes to wear his little cowboy hat and he, he's such a joy in my life. They wanted to take that away. Is his life not worth it? Does he not deserve to live? Do these children that even though they only have a few minutes or a few hours of life, do they not deserve to live and make a difference? The answer is they do. So young people, as they barrage you with so-called reason and science and emotion, that's what they're going to do most of the time. They're going to tap in. You never hear a pro-abortion activist say, any logic or any they don't they're not going to use any truths they're not going to use any facts they're going to tap into your emotions i knew somebody that was raped and you know that is being a victim is not allow you to make others a victim i've got him i got a pastor friend and his wife her mother was married not saved yet early 90s went to a bar a man slipped something into her drink took her and raped her and she conceived from that rape as a married woman thankfully soon thereafter they got saved and they decided not to abort that young lady today that young lady is a mother of two with another on the way serving as a pastor's wife all because her mother chose life and not death God bless you